Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Travel and Tourism Podcast, my first season. I never had the pleasure of working with my guest today, but we do have 17 mutual friends in our Club Med family. Before Club Med, she studied communications and marketing at Eastern Michigan University and is a diehard Michigan Wolverines fan. Go Blue! Her first season was in 1988 in Club Med Paradise Island as a hostess. She worked for Club Med from 1988 to 1990 in St. Lucia, Waltuco, and Punta Cana, and she was also a sailing geo. During her first season, the American game show Hollywood Squares actually came to Paradise Island to film some episodes, and yes, we will talk about that experience. From Baltimore, Maryland, but now living in beautiful Huntington Beach, California, please help me welcome Robin Brogdon. Hey, Robin, how are you? Hey, Greg, thanks. Thanks for having me. Oh, no, no. I'm glad, uh, you know, when I actually reach out to people, they say yes, <laughs> like most people who say no. So thank you for saying yes. <laughs> hey, any opportunity to talk Club Med, I'm in. Okay. In case anyone's confused by Robin Brogdon, I guess you, uh, this, that's your married name. So if you can tell everyone yes. what your name was. My maiden name, how people would know me from Club Med is Robin Kopelnik. And at the time I had been living in Washington, D.C. So they may know me as Robin from Washington. Oh, really? Is that, was that your, so no nickname, just Robin from Washington? Yeah. Well, you know, first season, there were two Robins. So uh, I came to the village after her. So she was known as Robin number one and I was Robin number two, but we never had an opportunity to work together again. So that, that nickname only lasted in Paradise Island. Really? No one thought to call either of you Rocket Robin? Nothing like that? No? Well, you know, it's funny you say that because a fellow Montreal geo named Jean Roy, he called me Rocket. So that was his nickname for me. So whenever we communicate to this day, we call each other Rocket. Okay, nice. <laughs> All right. So I mentioned, yeah, you went to you went to a very good university because even I know about it. And I actually liked you know, I did follow Michigan Wolverines, you know, maybe because I just liked uniforms. I don't know. So were you a big Jim Harbaugh fan? I mean, I know he, uh, I know, I think, I think in your year there, his arm broke or something, right? Or his leg. Yeah, and got you know, I went there a long time ago. I was in the Bo Schembechler days and he is a legend. Everybody oh. was a Bo Schembechler fan. You know, Tom Brady, of course, hails from Michigan as Jim Harbaugh and several others that went pro. I am a big football fan, both college and pro. So I, in fact, as a student, I even followed them out to the Rose Bowl twice. Once my sophomore year, once my senior year, came out to Pasadena Rose Bowl to watch Michigan play in the big game. So, you know, I'm not really a huge fan of Jim Harbaugh, but being from Baltimore, I am a fan of John Harbaugh, his brother, who coaches the Ravens. Okay. Now, am I, am I to believe that you went to two Rose Bowls? Yep. Okay. Sure so for, for a Canadian guy who's will never, never get to go, but sees it on TV. So what's it like being in the stadium watching a Rose Bowl? Must be incredible, well, I, no? Yeah, it is incredible. I, I can imagine it's like a Final Four for March Madness basketball. I can imagine it's like World Series. It, you know, the college um, hype and excitement is just incredible. And the Rose Bowl is a beautiful arena, Southern California. So us, you know, us coming from Michigan in the pit of the winter months with gray, cold, snow, sleet, to even catch a 55 or 60 or 65 degree day in Pasadena was just pure joy on, on, and to celebrate the new year. Um, hungover watching the Rose Parade in person. Very, very cool. Uh, you know, the whole experience was just great enough that I went back the second time. 
<laughs> awesome. <laughs> now, was it at university or before university you you first heard about Club Med? Well, I had known about Club Med, but I had not been to a Club Med myself until probably 86 or 85 as a GM. Really? I, I think my first, first trip to Club Med was Guadalupe in 85, I think, and then Guaymas, Sonora Bay in 86. And then my first season as a GO was 88 Paradise Island. Okay. Now, did you go with your family on these trips? Nope. I was a young working professional. So I went with a friend and, you know, just really needed, you know, early in my career, working hard, needed getaway time. And again, I was living in Washington, D.C., so cold, dreary winters. And so just needed some sunshine and some fun. And from what I had heard about Club Med, it was going to be a fun vacay, which it was, which is really how I decided to pursue becoming a GO. Or did anyone try and recruit you while you're in the village? So, well, it's interesting because I, in early 88, I'm forgetting, I did go to Paradise Island as a GM, but that was after, so kind of backing up a little bit, I had been living and working in suburban Maryland, just outside DC and working in the district for three, four years and was doing all the things that, you know, a young professional is supposed to do. I bought my own first little house. I had a nice car. I was wearing nice suits to work and I was miserable. You know, I thought, geez, at 26 or 27, however old I was, if, if this is what life has in store, I'm in trouble. I need to shake this up. Actually, so I decided to apply to become a GO and at the time they were doing group interviews in major cities around the country. So I did get called in for an interview in Washington, D.C. I sat in a fairly small conference room at a hotel and there was a group interview and I, I can't even remember who the interviewer was. And, and because it was a group interview, most of us didn't have an opportunity to say much. But sure enough, a couple of weeks later, a letter came in the mail saying I was accepted and I just needed to wait for a village. So I was essentially waiting for a village and calling into the New York office every couple of weeks. And I thought, well, I really don't like my job. I'm really ready to make a change. I might as well go on vacation. So I went to Paradise Island. Bob Fagan was the chief. Robin number one was there who I, I met. Uh, I, and so I told him my story that I was accepted and just waiting for a village. And he said, well, if you want to come back here, go home, take care of your affairs and come back. Well, my affairs were a lot because I had recent, recently purchased a home. I had a lot of stuff to deal with, but I went home and within three weeks time, I was so motivated to get out of my boring, dreary existence, being a young professional and needed adventure that I pretty much sold everything I owned, including my home packed up everything, moved whatever I had left into my mother's attic, called back down to Paradise Island, told Bob Fagan I was ready to come. An airline ticket arrived and there my adventure started. Okay, so you went back to where you just were. Yeah. And uh, did you really not care what 
what you did? Like hostess was fine. You just wanted I, to work. There? I didn't really care what I was going to do that first season. Hostess would not have been my choice, but it was a great way to get to know everybody because everybody at some point in time back then came by the hostess desk for something, you know, certainly met all the Gia. That was still back in the day where the hostess kind of sat in the middle of the village and bar beads were sold and, you know, sort of concierge type information was given out on a regular basis. We typically worked four hour shifts, including a shift in the nightclub, generally from 10 p.m. till 2 a.m. Um, or whenever, you know, it was really thinning out in the disco. And so it was the old days where it was one of those jobs where there was somebody at the hostess desk almost 24 hours a day. What was the designation of Paradise Island back then? Was it family or was it singles? No, it was uh, singles. Oh, it was. Okay. It was. Okay. Wow. They threw you right in the deep end, huh? And it was awesome. I mean, I was not one to want to work in a kids or a family club. My last season was, but which I was you, very fortunate that, yeah. <laughs> that my first three had no kids. That's right. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. St. Lucia wasn't a family village back then? No, not yet. Oh, and St. Okay. Latulco. Oh, I'm, wow. I'm old enough that they were all singles villages at the time. Okay. Since you'd already been to Club Med as a GM, you were familiar with it. I guess you didn't have any what I call Club Med culture shock when you finally got to Paradise Island, right? Like nothing surprised you. You knew about the shows. You knew about the crazy yeah, signs. It, it's interesting. I knew about all of that. I honestly was surprised at how many hours a day Geo's worked and how tired I was. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. You, you, know, had a, you, um, you had a weekend back in D.C., huh? Okay. Well, yeah. And... You know, I knew it was a seven day a week. I think I was taken back a little bit by the fact that, you know, every day for six months for 12, 15 plus hours, you're on. And, you know, that's, that's tough. You know, you have to pace yourself and you have to really like it because otherwise, you know, I think some of the repetitive nature of some of the interactions with guests would get old um, and you just have to be able to realize that every guest that comes through there is maybe experiencing it for the first time. And they just, just paid good money to enjoy a week. And it was our job to make that week enjoyable. So, you know, we kind of sometimes had to put our best face on and and just go do it. Now, did Hollywood Squares come uh, the beginning, middle or end of your season in Paradise? Oh, gosh. You know, I, I'm trying to remember. I, I think it was the middle because... It was a summer season. Uh, I got there in May and didn't leave there till November. And I feel like it was June time. I think they said it was the first time Hollywood Squares ever built a set and filmed outside of the U.S. And they built the set for a couple of days on our beach, which was just incredible to watch them erect this whole set. Uh, the exact same set with the tic-tac-toe board that they use in the Hollywood studio. And then they built a platform where GOs could be selected to be scorekeepers. So I think to this day, I still have an old VHS tape of me being a scorekeeper and being able to be on one of the shows, which was just hilarious. And the funniest thing about it was, all the celebrities that came in to be on the show treated us like celebrities. Like, like they, they were so excited to meet us where we were like, you know, we couldn't believe we had all these celebrities um, in one. I mean, cause 
most clubs had celebrity pass through every now and then. So that part in itself wasn't so unusual, but to have nine celebrities and producers and directors and makeup and hair and, you know, the whole production was just really fun to watch and fun to be part of. But they treated us like celebrities. I remember they were all giving us their names and numbers and saying, when you get back to the States, call us. And, you know, I, I don't know that anybody ever did. It was just pretty flattering to have that kind of attention, but it was really, really fun to watch the filming and see how it's done behind the scenes, which was right in front of our eyes. Yeah, let's go through the list. Yeah, Jim J. Bullock, Daphne Maxwell-Reed, Chuck Woolery, Matt Biondi, David Brenner, Robin Leach, Susan Rattan. And, you know, because that photo you posted on Facebook, I can't tell who the last two were because oh, they I were bot- bottom row. Stevens, who was oh. a big DJ. Oh, that- He was kind of a big guy, blonde hair, very Hollywood looking. Gosh, now you're asking me to remember something. No, so it's just just one more. It's just one more that we don't have, but he was literally the bottom, bottom right side. So that's okay. At least you got Shadow Stevens. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't remember. And were they there for a week or two weeks? Do you recall? Um, I think they were there for about a week. You know, they they were not there while they were doing all the setup. And then they came in, they filmed just for a couple of days because they filmed multiple shows. So for them, I think they they did, I'm going to guess it was five shows because I think they did the week in the Bahamas is what it, you know, showed up um, on TV as. So we must have done five shows and just had a ball. Nice. Very nice. Well, I, I, I'm, I guess you don't have that VHS tape uh, transferred and put on YouTube yet, right? <laughs> I don't. You know, I'm going to have to find it because... <laughs> It really would be funny to watch nowadays. I'll bet. Well, that's I and being first season, I don't know if it occurred to you because I had something similar. My first season, I thought every club man in the world is doing this. Yeah. Game show has gone to their village. Did you think that at the time that this was happening everywhere? You know, I don't think I even really thought of it. You know, what's interesting, too, is we did meet other well-known people that some of the time we just didn't even know. Other villages in Watuko, I remember Benjamin Bratt, who did a longtime stint on Law and Order, came with his girlfriend. He was not well known on television at the time when when they said they were actors, you know, we kind of looked at each other and went, I wonder if they make any money doing that. Well, he became very big. And then there were uh, sports teams occasionally, the LA Kings, some of the hockey players came to Watulco and different villages had had that. So I, I kind of figured, well, you know, each village might have a celeb or two, but half the time we may not even know it. And anything else happen to paradise? Um, like at, at, any, at any point you can stop and tell me a story. Like, I don't want to leave anything out. So, you know, I don't want to jump to St. Lucia unless um, you still have uh, more memories of paradise or we can move to St. Lucia. No, you know, paradise was one of the rare villages that there was life outside the village. So on a rare occasion, we would skip out at 10 or 11 o'clock and go to the casino because there was a casino nearby. And you could take the little ferry across from the bar area over to Nassau. Um, if you needed something, you wanted to go buy something, shampoo, whatever it might be, where most of the other villages were pretty remote. So Paradise was nice in that regard, that it it had some civilization around it, but really was still very self-contained. All right. So St. Lucia, winter 89, I believe you went there next and your chief of village was Christian Maillet, correct? 
Correct. In fact, we opened that village. It had been closed for some time for some renovations. And so we were there probably, I, I got there late. In fact, I think Geo's had been there a week or two before me. And I still, when I got there, we still had a week before the village opened. So we had a ton of work to do to get that place open. But that was a great season. We had circus in uh, St. Lucia and somehow Stefan and Lisa convinced me to join the circus. <laughs> so I did the bike act and I did, you know, I did some clown work and it was really fun, really scary. Uh, things way too high up for me, but uh, somehow we did it. And, um, you know, every week put on the circus show and just had so much fun. Again, when I kind of ran away to join Club Med, these were the kind of adventures I was looking for. So it was great. And and actually, Stefan and Lisa live in Las Vegas now and have come down to Huntington Beach a number of times. I've seen them multiple times uh, since you know, in the last 20 years or so, um, they actually own a trapeze art school in Las Vegas. So they've been fun to visit with over time. They stayed living in the circus? Actually, I believe they traveled the globe performing for a while after they left the club and they settled in Las Vegas. And originally, you know, they had two girls and were raising a family and were not working in the circus for many years. And then about, I'm going to guess about 10 years ago, they opened a business called Trapeze Arts and it started fairly small, but in a matter of no time, they have hundreds of staff and do everything from teaching trapeze to all the circus arts. And they put on performances throughout Las Vegas. And fortunately with so many Cirque du Soleil shows there, they've got a lot of the Cirque performers that are instructors for them. Uh, they do a lot of parties, and they've really made an incredible business out of it. Wow, that's cool. So anybody going to Las Vegas, look up Trapeze Las Vegas. Your geo friends will be running it. Nice. Good plug. Yeah. <laughs> so you were there winter 89, I believe, in St. Lucia. I was. So, you know, true to what you hear, it is a very windy village. Um, so it was ideal for windsurfing. And... The only thing kind of different about that was you had to take a little shuttle to the windsurf beach. It wasn't right on the main property. Um, it was up the road a tad, but we often, geos would often go up to that beach to sunbathe if we ever had a little bit of time. We had a great choreographer there. So the shows were really good, really fun. Um, her name was Carol and I don't remember her last name. She was French and she was really, really good. So that was a highlight. So between circus and the shows, uh, I was also a hostess there as well. And the hostess stand was right next to the bar, which is how I got to know Terry Drummy so well. It was his first season. And Terry Drummy and Lee Siegel and I pretty much spent every day together because the hostess and the bartenders were within feet of each other. So that's where we kicked off, you know, at my second season and their first. That sounds like that story could have went either way, right? Like, uh, <laughs> like yeah, it could have. You, you, Terry Drummy, Lee Siegel at the bar. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> well, and you, you know, and, long and time you have, ago, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm wondering since you had access to, you know, bar beads and whatnot, you probably drank for free anyway. I'm guessing, right? Well, you know, no. honestly, they were. We we had to do. 
the hostesses had to do a pretty detailed accounting at the end of each shift. So even if it was 2 a.m. before you left the disco shift, you had to do a full accounting and every shift you had to do it. So pretty much every pack of bar beads was accounted for. Now, I'm not going to say what sort of privileges I might or might not have gotten by being <laughs> friends with some of the bartenders. But when it came to the actual bar beads themselves, I had to account for every one. Just put Got it that it. way. Got it. Understood. I was going to ask where you learned sailing because there, there wasn't sailing in St. Lucia. There was windsurfing. So where right. did you, did you know to sail when you, from when you were uh, younger? Well, so that's a great story. I, you know, sailed a little bit as a kid at summer camp. So I had some of the basic knowledge. But when I went to Watulco for season three, I was part of the Bob Fagan team again. Um, and fortunately, there was a group of us from Paradise. He brought back to two seasons later to Watulco. And I told him I did not want to do hostess, find a job for me. So I arrived in Watulco and found out I was a sailing geo. Said, okay, then. So, so the chief of sailing at the time was also uh, someone that was in paradise with us. His name was Jim Wise. And uh, Jim basically taught me how to maneuver on the boats at Watulco because each village, you know, had a little bit different equipment and it was not a huge area to, to sail. The hard part was there was a, a tremendous shore break. So bringing the boats in was really tough. And I remember when I first got there, climbing into the motorboat, I couldn't even get in. I wasn't strong enough to pull myself into the boat. I remember it took me about two weeks to gain the strength. And then from there, I was just like rock solid muscle because it was such a, a physical job. Um, I was in great shape. And so I really credit Watuko for, for helping whip me into shape. And it really, you know, it was summer there. There really wasn't any wind. So it, it was an easy job. And it was great to be at the beach every day. So it, it was really, really hot. Well, Tuco in the summer, not just hot, but humid. Um, the sand was so hot, you needed, you know, little beach shoes that you could wear. But it was great to be able to be out in the sunshine and, you know, be in and out of the water. And it was an easy job. You know, that amount of sunshine is tiring, I, I guess, kind of to my point about how hard geos actually work. But it was great fun. And and for my next village, I went as a sailing geo as well, which was a whole different story. Okay, let's, let's not, yeah, let's not get, let's not jump ahead now. Now, okay. in, in uh, Watuko, were they lasers or Hobie cats? What were you sailing? They were lasers. We did have one Hobie. But most of them were lasers and, you know, they, they would zip along if there was any wind, there just wasn't much wind. Okay. Now I don't want to like omit St. Lucia. Did it, you have any funny, interesting, appropriate stories from St. Oh, Lucia? Boy. Um, <laughs> if not, I mean, you, you know, I figured you palled around with Terry Drummy, Lee Siegel, you guys stayed, stayed out of trouble, you know, great season. Well, you know, I, I think the other thing that, that anybody who worked in Watuko will remember is the 5,000 gazillion steps that you needed to walk to get back to your room from the disco at night. So if you were tipsy, good luck. Let's hope you find your room. But it, I mean, it there were so many steps in that village. Did you ever work in that village? No, I've heard of it, but no, I've never worked there. Wow. Yeah. I mean, like as many as you can think of times 10. But it was a beautiful village, and it was at a time when the whole area of Oaxaca and Huatulco was completely undeveloped. There were no other hotels. You could go into town, if you could call it that, and there was 
one laundry, one bakery, one taco stand, and that's about it. I mean, it really was a barren, empty landscape. Now it's completely built up, but I'm so glad we were able to experience it when it was raw and 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 just pure back in the day. So uh, we used to send our laundry into town because, you know, those of us that worked all day didn't really have time to do laundry. So we would send our laundry into town. And uh, that's how I got to see town is occasionally I would, you know, go with one of the guys in, in one of the cars to pick up the laundry for everybody. That was a fun, we had great, uh, that actually, that village was really well set up, had a fabulous theater. We also did some really fun shows. We had a great choreographer there who unfortunately passed away not too long ago, Ricardo from Brazil, who you may know. And he did some really good shows. There were also a couple of pools there that kind of were spread out in the main area. So we often did pool shows, which, you know, some villages did a fair amount of. Um, this village had a couple of pools, so they were fun. And then um, most of us lost weight in this village because of all the steps. So, and the disco was kind of way on the other end of the village down by the snorkeling shack. I also did snorkeling there too. They kind of moved us around a little bit on the beach and snorkeling there was amazing. I won't get into any details around the picnics just to say that they yes. were eventful, <laughs> um, not necessarily memorable, but eventful. And, you know, they took you off to a couple of bays, I don't know, 10 or so miles away. And they were incredible because uh, again the whole area was really untouched so the you know the abundant marine life was it's some of the best snorkeling really for mexico that i've ever done yeah let's let's uh, avoid the picnics of the, of the 80s and uh i wanted to ask yes. you about the, sh the shows actually what did were you a good dancer before clement did you like the shows i well i tried hard you know, I'm athletic, so I, I had a little bit of rhythm, but I was not probably one of the better dancers, but I wasn't one that people laughed at either. <laughs> so, okay, so, so you weren't front row, you weren't at the back of the curtain with like me, you were kind of like second row, middle? <laughs> probably. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Do you remember, like, did you have a favorite show? Do you remember any of the names of the shows that you did um, back then? Boy, that's a good question. No, it's and okay if you don't. I know it, it was, I don't a, it was a while think ago. I, you know, I think I did a Billy Idol White Wedding um, oh, really? But that was a little, <laughs> you know, a little out there. Well, that um, seems cool because Billy Idol is, you know, one of the classic singers from the 80s. So that's pretty right. cool that there was a show. And you know, actually, there were a couple of Queen. I remember Terry in one of the Queen, the band Queen, uh, they had a lip sync and he was in it and it was just too funny. Oh, I did lip sync a couple times. That was fun because then you didn't really have to do much except you know, mouth the words. So yeah, they were fun. They really were. And then you go to Punta Cana sailing, uh, winter 1990, correct? Yes. And that was a whole different story because that really was a sailing beach and I was yeah. in over my head. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Cause you had the yeah. uh, lasers, I think, and Hobie cats there or just. Yeah. The lasers. And it was a very windy beach, lots of reef, very shallow, I remember Fabio, who was the chief of sailing, who still works for Club Med to this day. I adored him and he adored me, yet he knew I didn't know what I was doing. So he gave me some grace and I got an awful lot better during the season. But um, it was definitely one of those 
sailing beach is that you really should have known how to be a good sailor before you were teaching it. Now, granted, most most of the guests that were coming to learn sailing really didn't know much. So I, I was perfectly capable of, of teaching the beginners. But when it came to my own enjoyment, that, that was not a place that I took out a boat regularly by myself to just have some fun because it was you know, often 20, 30 knots. Just a sec, Robin. Are you saying that there was someone that you worked with there in 1990 and still working for Club Med? Is that what you yes. said? Yes. Where does yep. he work? Where does he work now? You know, he is a mucky muck somewhere. I think he lives in Switzerland, but I do see him. He's a, a Facebook friend. So I do oh, okay. see him travels all over and he's still a Club Med, one of the regional somebodies. Okay, cool. Wow. Yeah, he's Italian but he was chief of sailing back in my day. Now, did you ever try windsurfing in any of these villages? Did you try to learn? I did. I wasn't very good at it, but um, St. <laughs> Lucia was a great windsurfing beach because again, it, it it had good wind, pretty steady. And Paradise, I windsurfed a little bit. St. Lucia, a little bit. But again, St. Lucia was a big windy beach. So I could only go on days where the real windsurfer said, there's no wind today. <laughs> so Okay. okay. And this way, you'd only have to be rescued once or twice, right? Exactly. <laughs> just, okay. Exactly. <laughs> All, right. All right. Now, let's take a funny, interesting story break. You have anything that you can, you can tell me interesting, otherwise uh, a rookie mistake, uh, I don't know, uh, encounter with a GM, anything uh, you wanted to share? This is the hard part. Uh, you know, I think Paradise well, Island was like the most unique story with Hollywood Squares, but I'm trying to think if there was anything on the later events that, or the well, later villages that had any fun events like well, that, well, well, that, how about, I, well, that I'm how, permitted to talk about. Well, how about this? Did you know what Bastille Day was when you got to Club Med? Like, I did was, not. Okay, no, so I definitely did not. What, every, what the heck everyone was doing on July 14th? Like, what is this? <laughs> yes. And, okay. you know, I remember being dressed up in wacky costumes and having to make like a, a float. And, you know, and it's funny because I now work with a woman from France. And so she's always filling me in on all these things that maybe I did back then, but didn't necessarily understand. <laughs> so. Yeah. So I remember building floats and putting on wacky costume. You know, honestly, I think one of the most fun parts of all the villages were being able to wear fun costumes and run around the village dressed as a different character. You know, I wasn't part of the animation team in any of the villages, but whether it was a pario show or a fruit passage or some silly get up or or um, pre-dinner game or you know, color war when they, we did, you know, blue against red. I was often a team captain getting, you know, the guests involved in competition. That was always so much fun because the guests had so much fun. And that's where, you know, everybody sort of fought over trying to meet the coolest guests of the week and, uh, you know, sitting with them and, and hanging with them for the week. Because, you know, they they didn't want you to sit with a whole table full of GOs. They wanted you to spread yourself around. So everybody was kind of fighting over the cool GMs of the week. <laughs> so, but that was part of the fun. Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry if like any of my questions you can't answer because you know, you know what they say, if you were a late eighties GO and you could remember, then you weren't really there. Right. So well, it's exactly. okay. Like if I ask you, what were the, do you have any favorite crazy signs from the eighties? Do you remember any like at I, all? I don't remember any. Yeah, and I, and I also am really, really grateful that there was no such thing as a cell phone. And, okay. and really, back in the day, 
you know, not only were there no newspaper, TV, magazines, we still didn't have locks on our doors. Yeah, that's right. So it it really was the old club med. Although I wouldn't mind it at least, you know, smartphones, maybe with no cameras back then, because uh, you know what it was like having to line up for the phone on Christmas day, you know, like <laughs> it was a long line. Right. So I, I wouldn't yeah, mind that's true. Wi-Fi and a smartphone back then. And, <laughs> and actually when I was a hostess, it was easy because I would be able to tell my parents, you know, every Tuesday night I'll be here from six to 8 PM. So they would call in and they would get the operator and say, can you please transfer me to the hostess desk? So once a week, I was able to say, hey. And so that was easy. My sailing villages was tougher to find time, but at least as a hostess, that was easy because there was always a phone there. Did they ever say, and, did, and were you able to ask them for packages? Because package getting packages was a big thing back in the day, right? Yeah. You know, Paradise Island was easy because it was really like sort of the States. I, I mean, it was just, it, 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 it was, you know, English was spoken. They, the Bahamian dollar and the U.S. dollar were one and the same there. You could spend either. They were equal and mail service was easy. I mean, I'm sure Miami dropped a couple times a day there. It was just so easy. The other villages were tougher. You know, sometimes Mexico, you would get it after you had left the village or, and then they would sell it, send it through village village when they would send stuff from one village to another. So there was always mail sitting there for geos that weren't geos at the time and you figured they must have been here last season (laughs) so you know it was it was not quite as trackable you know things weren't tracked with barcodes back then either so you know you just crossed your fingers every time i hear the term village village i smile and i think of my friend my friend joker who calls village village the job so nice they named it twice (laughs) wasn't it wasn't it wasn't it Yes, Huatulco was one of those weird villages where we often had guests arriving at like 3 and 4 a.m. I never understood that, yeah. but I can remember many, many times standing in the pitch dark waiting for a big cart with luggage to take GMs to their room in the middle of the night. I don't know why. Yeah, I would. I, that happened to me in Turkey. And I remember I would because Watuko, if it's that you're describing, it was similar to these other massive villages. I would actually go go find the room first because there's nothing worse than taking a family and who's at 3, 3 a.m., whatever. And you can't find the room because yeah. all the rooms look alike. So, yeah, I would try and I would go beforehand and find it. <laughs> yeah, it was just, it, you know, you figure you were working a lot of hours and then you're, you would look at the week at the weekly schedule that they would give you at the weekly geo meeting. And you would see your name on, on that for 4am or 5am or whatever it was. And like, give me a break. Can I sleep in for sailing? Nope. Be there. Yeah. <laughs> so we did. We worked hard. I, I think people, you know, people that didn't work there didn't believe it, but after two years, I was exhausted and I needed to come home. <laughs> so well, I, before, I before, before that though, I was going to ask you like, who did you of all, of all your seasons, like who did you enjoy working with? Whether it's a GO chief of service, chief of village, like yeah, who, you know, who, who did you so, like working with? It's so interesting. Cause I do remember, you know, getting so close with, with several people at different villages thinking, you know, what a wonderful experience we've had getting to know each other and how sad that we will likely never see or speak to each other again. And then came the internet 
And I just thought, what an amazing way to find friends that you thought you would never see or hear from again. And so my closest friend in Paradise Island was a Flemish Belgian girl named Bibi. Uh, her name is Sabrine. They called her Bibi. And to this day, we have maintained touch through all of our individual moves. And, and that was amazing that I was able to sort of find and stay in touch with her. Uh, Bob Fagan, my first and third chief, um, he's actually from Southern California, not far from where I live. And when his mom was still alive, he would occasionally come through here to visit with her. And so eight or so years ago, I think six or eight years ago, he was passing through and we got to spend a day at Huntington Beach together. I do have some pictures on my Facebook uh, of he and I at the beach, which was just great, great fun. I know he lives in Northern Italy now and has kind of put together um, a little B&B &B that he and his wife have up in the lakes region. So, uh, and, and just, you know, as I mentioned, Terry and Lee were great. In fact, my husband and I went to Turks on vacation five or six years ago, and we spent a couple of days with Terry and then a couple of days at a hotel. We didn't want to burden him for the whole time. He was an incredible host as, as always an incredible guy. And we were able to eat at Hemingway's, his restaurant many times and um, it was just, it, it was so amazing to be able to see him in real life and meet his family and stay with them and get to know his kids. And he had a, a beautiful setup there on a cliff in Turks. Who else? I mean, they're like I had mentioned Lisa and Stefan in Vegas from Circus earlier. And, you know, I think just, you know, my Facebook is full of Club Med friends that I may not talk to very often, but it's just nice to be able to keep up with some of the good friends. I know Mario was another geo that was part of season one and season three. There was kind of this crew of people that Bob Fagan had on his team that were able to follow each other, which was fun. You know, it's always nice to go to a village and see friends. You know, you, you always meet new ones, but to be able to work with ones that you really enjoyed from a previous village is great. You know, I think Bob Fagan really set the bar for me. He was the chief I really enjoyed. I didn't enjoy all of them, but I suppose, you know, that's how life goes. And Bob just made it. I thought he was a very good manager and he actually communicated really well with the team. You knew where you stood and you knew what was expected of you, you know, and maybe that's because he was American and he, you know, we shared a, a similar culture where that's how management is, is done well in the States. But, you know, it was really up to us to adapt to whoever our, our chief of the village was and learn to work with them and learn from each one of them. Yes. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, the internet and, you know, finding old friends. What the, the good thing or the nice thing about this podcast is that people are that you worked with are going to hear your voice and in, you know, they might reach out to you after this because uh, I, I keep seeing this comment over and over after an episode airs. It's like, my God, Robin, yes, yeah, uh, we, well, we worked, we worked in paradise and then they'll reach out to you. So that, yeah, that's uh, the, you know, one of the good things. That about would be the great fun. Well, with that, then I'm going to give a shout out to a couple of people that I think St. Lucia is the village. I took the most friends along with me from Linda to Sarah, to Lee, to Terry, to Carol, to John, to Valerie. They were, that was my crew. They were great. You know, that I think of all the villages, that's probably the one I carry the most friends with. 
So would that be your most um, magical season, if I could use that word, of the four? Or or was it the first one because it was your first? I think the first one was probably the most magical. It, you know, it was my way to run away from the responsibilities that I was not enjoying so much at home. I was I was quite successful early on, but it didn't satisfy me at the time. I, I was too, I felt like I was too young to, to really just continue in that along that path without some diversion. And I still had more adventure in me. And I like to think I still have adventure in me uh, just of a different sort now that, you know, I've been married 30 years and lived in the same city for quite some time. But, you know, my husband and I jet off occasionally, we did a, an amazing trip to Africa a couple years ago. And so the adventure is still in me, but I think Paradise Island season number one that, you know, opened the door for me, particularly with um, a great team of geos, a great chief, um, an easy village to transition to, and the first one to move away from civilization, if you will. Now, you didn't marry a geo, but you married a geo in spirit. Can you explain yes. that? Yes. So my husband is a Southern California surfer, I mean, among other things. I mean, he is an adrenaline junkie. And whether he's road biking, mountain biking, surfing, playing ice hockey or soccer or some other, he's a PE coach, a PE teacher and a coach, physical education. So I, I like to joke, he's a 15 year old boy trapped in a 50 something <laughs> year old body, but he is a geo in spirit. He's a free thinker. He's definitely, I mean, I'm an adventurer, but he's far more of an adventurer. He, he's really not afraid of much and doesn't really care what people think of him. He's got a very strong sense of self and is just a, a deep thinker and an interesting guy and, and a lot of fun. He can't sit still. So sometimes I get good downtime when he goes off and does his thing. The dogs and I get to chill, which is, you know, after all those years working so hard in Club Med, it's kind of nice to have a few of those weekends. So, you know, whether he's snowboarding in Montana or surfing on the Pacific Ocean, um, he's he's on the move quite a bit, but he reminds me of one of the, you know, one of the typical beach geos. And so, yep, married a geo in spirit. Well, I hope he knows how, how you know, how good it is to have someone like you. I hope he knows this. If you're listening. <laughs> well, thanks. Maybe you treat her right. Listen. <laughs> yeah, you know, we we have a good thing. We're both pretty independent and have a wonderful home life with dogs for children. But I think, you know, we both kind of grew up with an independent streak and we've honored that in each other. So, you know, we can each go off and do our thing. I'm heading to Sedona with a girlfriend this weekend, or I'm sorry, this week, Wednesday to Sunday. He'll take care of the dogs while I'm gone. And that'll be that. Okay. So you live in Huntington, you're going to Sedona. So is there anything possible uh, you miss about Club Ed? If I asked you, are there three things you miss or one uh, thing you miss? Is it the travel? Is the people? You know, I miss the warm water because the Pacific Ocean here is freezing. I never get in it ever. And I think people will laugh at that, but I never get in it. It is just frigid. So I definitely miss warm water. I miss clear blue water. You know, the Pacific Ocean isn't what I would call dirty, but it's not like blue. So those are two beach things. And, you know, I miss being surrounded by a variety of cultures. You know, that was part of the fun of it, too, was experiencing the world through the people you worked with. 
you know, most of us didn't have the money to travel the globe. The easiest way to travel the globe was to go work as a geo because you had people from 50 different countries on your geo team. So I, that was just a tremendous experience that I'm very grateful for. Nice. That's a great answer. It's better than mine. I usually say I miss lunch. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Lunch is made every day for you. You don't have to make yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> the buffet was pretty sweet. Buffet was, was pretty sweet. It was, right? Okay. <laughs> wow. Now, I don't, now, I don't want to let you go unless there's something I forgot to ask you or you wanted to say. I mean, I know we covered a lot, but, you know, please, uh, you know, just you can interrupt me at any point if like before we go, if say, Greg, I want, you know, I forgot this or that. Or did so we catch it I all? Guess I'll just add, you know, my two years in Club Med was one of the most pivotal experiences in my life for a couple of reasons. One, you know, like I just said, I, I was exposed to and got to know people from so many different countries and cultures, which was really eye-opening and and just, I think, good for me as a human to grow. But I, it also was something that you know, I really took a leap, giving up a professional career, selling my home against my family's wishes, against, you know, a lot of my friends thought I was crazy. People thought, what are you doing? You're in your late 20s. I had friends getting married and having babies. And and I, I just, you know, I'm not one that can sit in, you know what, very long. When 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 the universe says to me, it's time to do something different, go do it. I, I want to encourage people to take the leap. I did it. And pretty much all my loved ones thought I was insane. And I did it anyway. And I'm so glad I did. I, it was just an amazing experience. And I'm, my life has been so much richer because of it. So anybody, and I also knew that, you know, look, when I was done, I had been successful, you know, with a career before I could reinvent myself if I wanted to, or, or reinvent something different, which I did. So I knew that, you know, I I could land softly when I got back because I knew that was going to be a difficult transition, you know, going from, you know, a briefcase and a business suit and barefoot on a beach. I needed to find a happy medium between the two when I returned from Club Med. Uh, so instead of moving back to Washington, D.C., I landed in Southern California. I thought that was a nice, happy medium. And uh, I actually started off staying with uh, a former geo friend who lived in San Diego started working my way north. And I said, wherever it feels right, I'll stop. And I only got one county further before I stopped. But, you know, I I found my way eventually. Did I get the perfect job right out of returning? No, but I learned how to be really resourceful and uh, take educated risks and have enough confidence to know that I'm in charge of my life, regardless of what my family or friends thought of what I was doing. I knew I needed to do it. And so I'm I'm so glad I had the strength and the courage to go do it because it's just been to this day, there are elements of my time in Club Med that I think of frequently. You know, one of these days I'm going to hit one of the reunions that they keep having that I have not made. But one of these days I will, because I'd sure love to see a lot of those people that I see in pictures on Facebook. Yeah, they're, they're a lot of fun. Those are reunions. I, I went to two in Cancun. I, I think you would like them. So one day I will. Okay, sweet. Well, I cannot improve on the answer you just gave. I think you said it all, Robin. And uh, so I do want to take the time just to thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story with us. 
Well, you are so welcome. I, I so appreciate being invited. And anytime I get a chance to talk about this amazing experience of two, two years in my life, I'm happy to. So Greg, I hope people enjoy our chat. It was sure nice to talk to you. And one of these days, uh, you know, maybe we'll land at the same reunion. Awesome. That would be most excellent, Robin. I would love that. Well, everyone, that was Robin Koppelnick, now Robin Brogdon. And uh, we will see you all next week with another installment of my first season. Here's where we say bye to everyone, Robin. All right. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy. Bye.